Welcome to the Horizon Podcast, where we dive deep into the minds of extraordinary professionals, uncovering the stories, inspiration, and wisdom that have shaped their careers. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Today's topic is the power of storytelling, and my guest is Heather Cowie, the Manager of Community Engagement for the Alzheimer's Society of British Columbia. I'll now let Heather share a bit about her background in her own words. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. My name is Heather Cowie, and I am the Manager for Community Engagement at the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Cool. Well, thank you. Short and sweet. Uh, what do you do on a daily basis? That's a great question. So we're a relatively new department at the Alzheimer's Society, but we're focusing in on two of our large initiatives that we've had ongoing for a while. So one of those is dementia-friendly communities, which is working with municipalities and different stakeholders who maybe aren't connected to dementia. So uh, public transportation, retail spaces, restaurants, in order to make sure that they're feeling uh, that they can provide inclusive and supportive uh, spaces for people living with dementia and their customers. And then the second focus of our department is around uh, lived experience engagement. So making sure our volunteers who are living with dementia um, and our care partners um, who want to engage as advocates, spokespeople, help us provide oversight in, in the work that we do, uh, have a process and a way to do that. Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, most of the audience is focusing on business development, um, either securing investment or investing in businesses. And you have some experience that might be very useful for them working in the Alzheimer's Society of British Columbia. And we had talked about storytelling for influence, but I feel there's also a lot that we could learn about Alzheimer's Society um, and Alzheimer's in particular, because it does affect us all. Uh, is there anything that you would like to say about that, about Alzheimer's? Absolutely. So yeah, so Alzheimer's disease is um, one type of dementia. So dementia is an umbrella term for any change, uh, for any disease, sorry, that causes changes in the brain. And these can result in uh, a number of different symptoms, such as changes in memory, maybe uh, visual hallucinations. But it really just is important for us all to note that if you know one person with dementia, you know one person with dementia. Everyone experiences it different, which is why it's so important for us to be building a dementia-friendly society and a dementia-friendly BC. So here at the Alzheimer's Society, while our main goal is for a world without dementia, what we're doing is really working towards a dementia-friendly province. And so that comes through in the work that we do with uh, community partners, as well as our our community members, so the individuals living with dementia and care partners to provide them with um, education, support and resources to help them through their journey. How do you use storytelling in your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I can speak a lot to the work that we do with dementia-friendly communities and stories are really important there because as I mentioned, we're working with people in a number of different fields, whether that's the general public, as I mentioned, public transportation, staff or city councillors um, at different municipalities who maybe don't think about how dementia affects their day-to-day -day work. Um, and so it's really important for us to bring stories forward about their customers and the people that they engage with. So if it's in a municipality, what are their constituents looking for? Are they looking for better communication? Are they looking for better wayfinding, better signage? Um, when we talk about dementia-friendly communities, we often talk about how the built environment and the social environment play a huge role in a person's ability to feel like included and supported um, as they go about their day. So how can we share stories about those kinds of pieces to make sure people kind of have those aha moments, as we call them, to recognize, oh, I have a role to play in this work also. So for instance, if you're working with public transportation, 
transportation and you talk about um, bus stops, um, we often say in a dementia-friendly community, there needs to be benches for people to sit and to rest. There also needs to be clear signage in order for a person to recognize where they are so they can independently wayfind. So if you start telling a story about an individual, perhaps who hasn't been able to locate a bus, or if you provide examples around the importance of a bench looking like a bench, not an abstract piece of art, people start to see how it integrates into their own work and they can have that aha moment and put a dementia lens over all of the work that they do. What has been an aha moment for you and your work so far? Oh, that's a good question. I think every day I have aha moments. And a lot of that comes from being able to work with people with lived experience. So I've been with the Alzheimer's Society for about seven years. And a lot of that work has involved getting to work with our amazing volunteers who are either living with dementia or have a family member or friend living with dementia. And we want to always engage them in the work we do. And so sometimes we think we know what we're doing. We think we're on the right path. We think, oh, we should have signs. We should do this. We should do that. And they're like, no, stop up and listen to us. We're the individuals that are going through this on a day-to-day basis. So uh, one example in particular that I've kind of already alluded to is we were on a working group once um, with one of the municipalities that we had partnered with, and they were starting to put together what we call an action plan. What are the things they want to address? And uh, there was individual living with dementia on this group. One of my longtime volunteers, we were really good buddies. We'd always be joking. I thought I would know exactly what he was going to say at all times. And we were talking about how we needed to put some sandwich board signs out maybe to help direct people as they found their way. And he was like, no. We're like, what What do you mean? He's like, no, I, I understand where you're coming from. Signage is really important. But the more signage, if you put too much signage out, I stop, I read that sign, I maybe forget where I'm going. And we all kind of had to take a step back and go, yeah, I may know the principles around a dementia-friendly space, but I need to speak to someone living with dementia to have those aha moments to make sure I'm always headed in the right direction. Sounds like empathy is really important. Absolutely. And that's what storytelling can help provide, right? Like having that empathy towards the individual showing stories and then just connecting with the person you're talking to also, because I think we all are touched by dementia in a way, whether we know someone in our family, we have a friend or we have a client that we've worked with who's living with dementia. A lot of the times connecting to that story kind of, again, is an aha moment for that person. You'd mentioned earlier that you like to listen to classical music when you do hard problems like math, for example. And I've heard that we as humans uh, learn through storytelling because they open up certain parts of our brain and things find fertile soil, whereas otherwise they might find resistance. I was wondering if you have used storytelling in a way that changed someone's mind. I don't know if I've used storytelling as much as I've seen people use storytelling. We have a, a video on our website and it's an individual named Jim Mann. And Jim Mann has been a volunteer with the Alzheimer's Society of BC for as long as I can remember, long before I, I came here. He's served on our board. He's served on the board of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. He's currently on a number of our committees and he is living with dementia. And so he used to come to all of our presentations and tell this amazing story about what it was like for him on a day-to-day basis. And so we recorded it and we put it up on our website and we show it as a part of a number of our presentations. And my favorite thing to do is to stand at the back of the room and watch the reactions of people watching that to see the little pieces. It, it shows Jim, you know, stories about when he realized he was living with dementia, interactions he's had uh, with people who are um, at the cash register at a grocery store, uh, individuals perhaps out in public um, in the healthcare sphere. And it was just watching all those people hear directly from him 
And again, having them see the story and understand the impact and to see an individual telling their story um, really, I think, galvanizes people to want to do this work and want to work towards creating a dementia-friendly BC. Do you work with other societies in the Alzheimer's space outside of British Columbia and like partnerships? Absolutely. I actually just came off a project which was four years um, and it was a partnership between the Alzheimer's Societies um, of Canada as well as several of us across the province. Uh, it kind of grew to the point where everyone was involved in one way or another uh, in each province and it was called Dementia Friendly Canada uh, and it was creating resources uh, for people in retail, restaurant, recreation, library, and public transportation, uh, which included online education, which embedded stories um, from people with lived experience. So we, we started that project by doing focus groups um, and asking people living with dementia, care partners, professionals in those sectors, you know, what's working, what isn't working, um, what are some things you need to improve your space? What are some things you need to feel comfortable going into a space, depending on who we were talking to? And we were able to take those examples and put them right into the education, which again, helps with those aha moments, helps people engage, helps people feel like they have a role to play. Um, we also created several um, public service announcements and, and other little videos, again, showing little scenarios based on the things that we were hearing directly from people with lived experience. So people can see simple communication tips. Uh, one of them features um, a father and son in a restaurant and the father is living with dementia and the server recognizes, oh, it's really noisy in here. Oh, um, they can't hear me. Uh, there's a lot going on. The menu's small. So she kind of pauses and she goes, I'm going to ask my table if they want to move to a quieter spot. I'm going to ask one question at a time. I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to allow this individual to really be, feel independent in this space. So again, it's using storytelling, but also visual examples um, of how easy it can be to become dementia friendly and to take these dementia friendly steps. Well, listening to that, it sounds like it's just friendly full stop. I would like to be asked one question at a time and uh, being seated in a quiet table as well. So, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we always say dementia friendly is everyone friendly. And I think that also really helps um, when you were asking about negotiation. Sometimes you go to an organization and they're like, OK, we want to serve as many people as possible. How can we just focus in on dementia? But you're not just focusing on, on in on dementia. You are looking at, as I mentioned earlier, the built environment. So you're looking at how you can make sure signage and wayfinding are really clear. So someone who maybe doesn't speak English or someone who's just new to that location can easily navigate it. You're looking again at social cues. How can you make sure your staff know all of those things to make us all feel comfortable and confident and, and want to engage in that space? So dementia friendly is everyone friendly. And I think that's an important thing for us all to keep in mind. Do you think consistency of a message is important in communication? Absolutely. I think I think sometimes people don't hear the message the first time. Uh, and so it's important. The way you tell the message might vary or change depending on who you're talking to. But I think having a core mission. So with the Alzheimer's Society, as I said, our we're really trying to build a dementia-friendly province and how we engage different audiences and different people might look different as long as we keep the core mission at heart. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, so feel free to take a moment, uh, but could you give me an example of how you might modify a message, like modify the delivery of a message while still maintaining consistency? Yeah, you are putting me on the spot, but I like it. I like having to think. So for me, what's worked in my career is the personal connections and really getting to know the individual. So sitting down and taking the time to sit down with, whether it be someone from the city council, if that's who we're working with, or someone from that local restaurant or far from 
public transportation and getting to know them. And that allows us to engage a little bit more, understand what their wants and needs are, what their hopes are, and then be able to integrate in the story of what a dementia-friendly province is and be able to provide my skills. So it's it's not really necessarily like uh, you take this part of the story and you swap out that part of the story and you have this perfect piece for someone. It's really about those relationships and building those relationships. Even if it takes a little bit of time, you're going to end up with a better product, a better outcome at the end if you step back and work as a team. There might be a few examples of this. I think the example I saw was from Wired magazine, where they have uh, experts in certain fields talk about what they do in like five different ways. So one would be to a contemporary or a peer in the same industry. Um, another, like the other end of the spectrum would be like a five-year-old that's still learning a lot of language. And so it really illustrates uh, the key components of a message. And I thought that was really interesting. I was wondering if in your previous answer there, it sounded like there were elements that overlap with that. Absolutely. I think that's yeah a great way to look at it. It's It's knowing... I think sometimes we all get into our own world and our own sphere of knowledge mm. so much that we we kind of forget that there are certain things we need to change or certain things we need to provide more detail on or background on, depending on what uh, world of knowledge that person's coming from. So like you said, if you're talking to a peer, I'm going to use acronyms. I'm going to go fast. I'm not going to get too into the details. Um, I'm going to be able to go over things really quickly. If I'm talking to someone who's never even heard of dementia before, I really appreciated you asking at the beginning, what is, you know, tell us about the Alzheimer's study. Tell us about Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, um, because sometimes that's where you need to start with someone. You can't just say, coming in and you're going to change your entire building and it's going to be dementia friendly. Or you're going to learn all these tools. I need to start at stage one and I need to explain what dementia is, what those common signs of dementia are, what's communication. And then we can build on what communication strategies are. Then we can build on the environment. So you're right. It really does kind of also depend on where that individual is coming from. And then also allowing space for them to bring their expertise into the conversation. Because obviously I'm not an expert in how the public transportation system runs, but they can find those commonalities and those points where we can intersect and we can make the journey better for a a community member. Have you done any work with TransLink? Um, we um, have colleagues and myself who have sat on different accessibility committees uh, with TransLink as well as uh, the Transit Police. Um, and so we we often have worked with them. We've helped provide some resources for them and their staff um, and education. Absolutely. And then we've also worked with the municipalities um, and their um, engineer and kind of uh, planning committees who often will be in charge of those bus stops. Mm. So recognizing um, who is in charge of what pieces uh, so that we can provide um, any uh, expertise or education or answer any questions that they have. But yeah, TransLink has also been really helpful in presenting to our staff. So again, a give and take um, in building that relationship. And and we've had individuals come and speak and do webinars um, on how, um, how they run their accessibility programs, um, give some tips for people living with dementia on how to best access transit. How does having TransLink or other municipalities, for example, talking to the Alzheimer's Society of BC help you? I'm, I'm curious, does that give you data points that you can then match your message to? Kind of, yeah. So I mean, in terms of like, are you asking just like in terms of our partnerships and sitting down and meeting with them or in terms of having them come and speak to our community members and people living with dementia that we work with? I'm exposing my ignorance here, but in my mind, I assumed that the Alzheimer's Society of BC would be telling TransLink or other municipalities what's wrong and what they need to change. But it sounds like they're also addressing you either before or during that process. So I was curious, what is it that you're getting from them? 
we can bring that information. We can bring people living with dementia and care partners with us. We can bring our expertise and our background. So for instance, um, my background is in, in environmental gerontology, which is the study of how to make spaces um, uh, accessible and inclusive for older adults. And then I've done a lot of work in this in this dementia-friendly space over the last seven years. So we can bring that expertise to the table, but we still need to understand how the other side operates. What are their priorities? What are things they can change and can't change? As much say we went to a SkyTrain station and it needed to be fully renovated to be dementia friendly, that's probably outside the scope and capacity um, of TransLink. So how can we work with TransLink and they can provide us with information on what is changeable so that they can, again, work on signage, work on communication strategies. So again, that that's where we go with any building. We work with a library. We can't just tear that library down as much as I'm sure even the library sometimes would want to, but um, to make it the perfect space. But we can make small changes. We can learn from them how their systems work, what are the challenges that they're maybe facing. So if they've had customers living with dementia come in, what are some things that they would like to improve themselves and what kind of information can we then provide to them? Thank you for teaching me a new word. I had to look up gerontology. I was wondering, do you do you ever throw that out as like to open doors, like just hold up a badge and be like, I'm an environmental gerontologist out of my way. Um, yeah, my uh, funny enough, uh, my mom would sometimes, if she didn't fully understand what I was studying, she would just say with a lot of confidence, my daughter's an environmental <laughs> gerontologist, um, so no one would ask questions um, or follow up because they would have to Google it too. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to, it's a small program run out of Simon Fraser University to have gone through it and, and get a better understanding of, again, accessibility in spaces and wayfinding. So you're licensed to fly planes and perform like uh, brain surgery mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no one asked me to do anything beyond the social aspects of, of design, even then. Provide information on design. As someone who's looking to improve his own communication skills, I'm I'm curious how did how did you improve your your communication skills? Because you're you're very eloquent and you're very concise in your communication. Is that part of your study? Is that part of your passion? Oh, thank you. Oh, I- I appreciate it. I think it's been kind of lifelong learning. You know, I used to have the, I remember standing up in high school doing my my speech and my hands shaking. And so just practice and, and getting out there. I've always been involved in the arts in one way or the other, you know, a, a band geek here. Um, and so just putting myself in front of people over and over again. My mother will tell you I was an only child the first five years of my life. So just getting up in front of people uh, and and putting on bad little plays that a five-year-old would has kind of just over the years provided me with the opportunity to learn. And then I'm very lucky at the Alzheimer's Society and through my education to have had opportunities to present. So in terms of that piece, but then in terms of just paring down and, and how to focus in on what a, a good story is or how to share a story. I think for me, I've been very lucky also to have a family that's good storytellers. And I, I took from them points around what, what again, what is that key message? What are those three things I want to get across? And then how do I make sure I keep the story concise? Uh, even though I'm rambling a bit today, how do I keep the story concise? How do I make sure I hit those points? Um, and how do I make sure it's engaging and, and entertaining? And so it's it's practice mm. and it's a lot of work behind the scenes half the time to memorize those key messages or memorize those points and then present them in a way that feels natural to you. Do you ever practice giving presentations in front of a mirror? 
I'd be scared to maybe do it in front of a mirror, but I, I definitely will run through my notes quite often. You know, that's a lie. I, I think in this new age where there's a lot more webinars, you know, kind of post COVID, I definitely watch myself in the camera more than I ever have. I think I'm catching myself uh, doing it now to see yeah, how I'm using my hands, to see if I'm presenting, to see if I'm being engage- engaging mm-hmm. or if I'm just kind of standing still. So I think the best practice, though, is in front of people yeah. because then you can understand what that feedback is and if your point's getting across. Because again, like sometimes I'm saying something and I don't recognize maybe that the audience doesn't understand mm-hmm. a certain term like gerontology. So making sure that everything I say is kind of at a level um, of easy entry mm-hmm. into the into whatever your topic is about. Kind of imagine people in the audience don't know what you're talking about is often my go to. Yeah, I find talking to people is is the best way. I mean, I assume it's the the natural way, but I've been told by a couple of people who are very good speakers in order to prepare for a presentation they're giving, uh, they recommend maybe talking to the mirror. And I never could do that. It just felt too removed almost. I, yesterday, I had a conversation with a couple people in our cohort with the Engaged Leadership Program about the psychology of a job interview. And I get a bit meta in job interviews where I'm aware <laughs> that I'm being tested. So it's like I have, mm-hmm. there's two parts of me involved in the interview, like the person that's actually answering the question and the person that's watching me answer the question. Whereas I feel like in real life, I'm just united in doing it. So I, mm-hmm. it's like a proxy for who I really am. So I was yeah. curious, presentation, it sounds you're, you're somewhat similar where you prefer the authenticity of the actual event over a preparation in a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I definitely feel like that's where I've learned the most. I did my first in-person presentation since 2019, uh, just a few weeks ago. And it, it did make me realize how much feedback you get from the audience. Um, it was one of those uh, presentations where if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. Uh, the PowerPoint didn't work. The mic didn't work. Uh, we've had a backup PowerPoint. It no longer worked. My speaker's notes were missing. So it did, again, highlight the importance of really taking the time to learn your key messages so that you stay on track and you can continue whether you have a PowerPoint in front of you or not. But it also reinforced for me and everyone's different. The feedback that you can do when you're engaging and you're seeing your audience, you're seeing, are they nodding and they're getting it? Are they, do they look lost? Are they on their phone? Like, what is it that I can do to bring them back into the fold? Um, Is it, you know, do they need a little bit more excitement up front? Should I do a dance? No, that's, I, I won't do a dance, but should I tell a joke? Should I find out what they do? Should I ask questions? You know, it, it's really nice for me to, to see that feedback, which has made the last few years of uh, webinars a little bit more difficult and has changed the way you need to present. As we wrap up, I'd just like to uh, give back to you my understanding of, of what you said. When giving, when using storytelling for influence, it's important to have empathy for the people that you're speaking to, have, have a message in mind and be consistent with that message. But look at the feedback that you're getting from your audience, whether it's an audience of one or a thousand, and calibrate the story uh, as necessary. Does that pretty much align with with what you wanted to say? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that hits all of the, the key points. You're a very good listener, which is also important to storytelling is to to listen. Is there anything else that you'd like to say that we didn't get a chance to touch on? No, I, um, I think I alluded to it a little bit. But again, storytelling, well, again, it's important for me to tell the stories. It's important for the people we're involved with to tell the stories. And so we always say, and I think everyone in the, that accessibility space always says nothing about us without us. And and that's one key message that I always take forward um, at the Alzheimer's Society, but I think is really applicable anywhere. Um, really engaging your stakeholders and the people that this is about in 
developing your stories or having them share their stories is really critical. I love that quote. Nothing about us without us. Yes, absolutely. I haven't heard that before. Well, there you go. Now you've, you've learned a couple of new things today, yeah. which is always That's good. And I, I have too. I, I, re- I really want to get you to send me that Wired article at the end of this. Uh, where would you like to direct people? Yeah, you can always check out the uh, Alzheimer's Society of BC's website at alzheimerbc.org. And when you're there, um, there's a million different resources and, and tools for you to take a look at. Well, thank you for the good work that you do. And thank you for taking a little bit of time to talk to me today, Heather. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Horizon Podcast. New episodes go out Monday mornings. Next week's guest is Keith Boodle, Operations Manager for Progressive Automations. He will talk about leading with impact and share his unique insights from diverse experiences in sports, coaching, and international business. He brings to light the power of assuming positive intent, the value of mentorship, and the crucial need for muscle confusion in our brains and careers. It's an episode you won't want to miss as we delve into these topics and more. Until then, eyes on the horizon.